And welcome to Modern Homemakers. We are so glad you're here. I'm here. I'm Leah Parker, and I get to be here today with David and Donna Otto. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's going to be great. And I want to remind everyone that if you've been a listener for a little while, 10 or more, we are offering Donna's book, Loving Life as a Stay-at-Home Mom, from our homepage in the next day or two, or it should be up by now. There'll be a pop-up that asks for your address, and if you send that to us, we will send you a book. David? Leah, that sounds interesting. Uh, I have a bunch of books in the garage. So <laughs> would, you, would you help us out? That's for those of you who have been regular listeners. Now, the subject has been staying. You've been listening. You know that. And today, it's staying in the training and teaching. Here's Donna. Hi. And we're stuck on staying. How's that? We're stuck on staying. Uh, we really are. And I think I, I don't think I've done this, but have I, not at me if I've already started this way, Leah, but about seven years ago, that phrase came into my head and it was staying in a leaving culture. And everyone loved it. To this day, whenever I say that, someone goes, oh, that's good. But I was going through that because I was seeing the demise, oh, it's longer than seven years, maybe 10 years, the demise of family. I was teaching much more about marriage. I was having a lot more questions about marriage. I had a lot more understanding about why women were not getting married. Uh, young women who were saying, we're, not, we're just not gonna do it because we'll probably get divorced anyway. I remember the first time someone said that to me and I thought, wow, that's, that's starting off with a hard start. So staying in a leaving culture became something that I literally wrote a book proposal about and have been thinking about for a long time. And as we end this season of my life, uh, 37 years here with homemakers, homemakers by choice and modern homemakers and all of you who have been such a part of my life, I started thinking I was going to start naming names. Like I was going to say, Ava Sywick, are you listening? But then I decided if I did that, I would be in so much in trouble because I couldn't say Leah Parker and, and, and Nancy Pierce. I'd be in trouble forever. So I'd probably be here quoting names forever. But one of the things that we're doing in this staying series is I'm trying to help you get stuck on the idea that it is a staying process, training and teaching your children. Now, if I never said another word to you right now, if you left listening to this brief uh, introduction and said, I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to stay with whatever I've tried. I'm going to stay with it. But what happens to most of our child training tools is we start, but we don't stay. That's a great idea. Let's do that. And then we start it, and then, oh, it's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work. I meet with a young woman who I met at an event of Modern Homemakers a few years ago, she uh, homeschools her children. 
She has a baby, five children. She has a baby. The oldest child, I think, is 13 now or 12. They live in a very small house. Her husband works a full-time job. She's a stay-at-home mom, and she homeschools. I have never met anyone more diligent in my life. She stays with things until... Even I want to say, oh, you tried that for an awful long time. It's still not working. But then every once in a while, she'll say to me, you know, I've been at that for four years, and now I have. Look at what she's doing. So I want to start by saying, would you please remember that your children are not adults? Would you please remember your children are not adults? The attitude of parents and other adults toward a child can determine the concepts a child forms of himself and of God. For example, if you constantly tell your child he's lazy, he will never amount to much. You are building in him that kind of self-concept. And let me tell you, after you've told your son to clean up his room for nine days in a row and he's still not cleaning up his room, that's pretty much what you're thinking. He's lazy. But remember that God gave you his kids. These kids are not your kids. They're God's kids. So handle with care and be sure you recognize the treasure in who they are. When you are continuing in your constant teaching and training of their character, of their development. So I want to talk, if I can get all this in, in the next minutes, I want to talk about physical and mental development, social and emotional, spiritual. I'm going to talk a little bit about what it means to be a follower of Christ and showing and teaching your children that, showing them that you're a follower of Christ, who asks for forgiveness, I might add. Um, want to talk a little bit about some teaching principles. And then, do you ever talk to your husband or talk to yourself and the Lord about what's your desired result? What's the net? What are you doing this for? Mm-hmm. You had the baby and that was hard. You delivered, that was hard. And then you waddled them up in beautiful, cute clothes for the first six or eight months and that was hard due. It, it doesn't get any easier. I, I think the work is the part that we forget about. Now, I think work is godly. If anything, I'm a workaholic. I've had to process how much time I worked and played. I love to play, but I think I love to work more than I love to play. So I had to try to balance myself out. I think my husband would say, I'm still more a workaholic than a playaholic. But we get in that mode with our children, training, 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 teaching, 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 encouraging, encouraging, making, doing, and, and then we don't have any fun for play. My daughter is a great play mother. She she knows she makes them laugh. She gives them opportunities. They have great time together. I don't think I was that kind of mother, but I was faithful in understanding how I was responsible for this physical, mental, social, spiritual development in this one child that we had. You've heard me say if you've been around for any length of time that I wanted six. Only God knows how I could never have handled six children. My husband would say I could have never handled six children. My daughter would probably say I could never handle six children. But when I wanted this big family, really what I wanted was I wanted to build a family for myself because I came from such impoverished family world. 
In Luke chapter 2, verse 40, it says, Jesus, talking about Jesus, and the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's Jesus. Remember, Jesus came through the birth canal. Mary delivered him, and she raised him. She and Joseph raised him. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That did not happen on the moment he was born, and now he's 33 and being crucified. That happened at the hands of Mary and Joseph in their community, in their synagogue, in all sorts of places as we read through the gospel of Jesus' life. This is a picture of an ideal, well-rounded, physically healthy, you know, he grew and waxed strong, intellectual, moral development. Jesus was acquiring true ideas concerning God and men and the world. And we know the illustration, the account of Jesus being left and they traveled for three days, two and a half or three days, and they realized that Jesus wasn't there. How is that possible? Because the community was so big. And you didn't have to worry about who's got my kid and are they raising my kid the way I want them. No, they did this in a communal way. Think about it, Leah. If you had 40 or 50 aunties and uncles and you all lived together, the hard part was being in agreement the easy part was you wouldn't have two kids all to yourself to raise. And there's a great, and you know this because your parents are so engaged with your life, uh, grandparents, aunts, and uncles. So in the infancy, in ages up to three, the baby is a little young and a little innocent, and the baby gets a lot of physical things that happen because he can't do them himself. Then they grow and get stronger, and they begin to do things like walking and riding bike. And the most characteristic trait of the infant is his helplessness, his dependency on others. And I want to say that that's a good thing. And while we're helping them develop their muscles and being active and being able to do things by themselves, we also have to recognize that having a dependency on one another is a healthy and holy thing. We develop their minds as we move forward. Uh, we show them how to use their minds. We applaud them. We uh, provide color and thoughts and shapes we take them outdoors for looking at things that don't live inside of the house that are very different. We allow them to run and learn how to ride a bike and dress themselves and learn to put themselves to bed. We hopefully had been reading the Bible to them, and now they're learning to read, and they're learning to read the Bible for themselves. They continue growing both physically and mentally, physically and mentally. And by the time a child is 9 or 11 years old, that child is able to do many things. His energetic body um, keeps him chomping at the bit to do something else. His mental mind, especially in this world, is being challenged every day. I think raising children in this technological society, let's not talk about the cell phones and the images and the lures. Let's just talk about the absence about wonder, the absence of picking something up and wondering 
What made it? What What is this used for? How do I, does it feel? Is it metal? Is it wood? What do I do with it? How can I make something myself? It's all done before you. I, I went to a party recently and the kits were all there. The mom of the birthday party, she just pushed a button and ordered 12 kits and everything was in it for them to do. And I thought, oh, how sad. I mean, like, isn't there a wonder in taking all the, what are those things called? Uh, pipe cleaners and bending them and rolling them. I have a little Christmas tree that's about 10 inches tall. It took me weeks to make and it's totally handmade. The tree is pipe cleaners in certain lengths. The white trim around the tree is pieces from those beanbag chairs that I sewed together to make garland around. I made little wooden candles out of candlesticks, out of toothpicks, and I painted the top red and then white, and then I put them on a little squishy thing that was their stand and glued it to the tree. I am 77 years old. I take great pride in that one little tree. I did it all by myself. Well, I didn't do it all by myself. I did it with friends, but we did it with our very own hands and we made them. One woman was making three of them because she had three children in her family. I was glad we only had one kid at that time. Then comes all this social and emotional development, and he found favor with man. Jesus found favor with man and with God. And Jesus increased. Now, I don't know about you, but that concept has always been difficult for me. How could Jesus, the Savior of the world, come as a baby? First of all, coming through the birth canal, the darkest place, the hardest thing to do. But he came as a human being. But then how did he increase and find favor with God? Because he was already God. But remember that the scripture tells us that he did everything so as we would understand that he understood my manness, my human form. And so the scripture reminds us that he found favor. He found favor socially and emotionally. He found favor with God spiritually. There are levels of spiritual understanding as being a child. And our grandson's name is Samuel, and he's, well, he'll be 19 in a few days. And I don't know why, but I I always ask the Lord for things, you know, like, tell me what to do. Tell me what I could do, what would be special for my grandson. And we just have two grandchildren, the boy is Samuel, the girl is Eliana. And when Samuel was born, um, I knew his name was going to be Samuel. But I had gone to the book of Samuel and found a little squidgen of a verse, and I whispered it in his ear the first time I held him, and I whisper it in his ear to this day. Now he's 19, and I come toward his ear, and he nods his head, and he says, I know, Nana. <laughs> but when they were little, they would pull their earlobe to make sure that before I tuck them into bed. And... um it was a very holy, small thing, but it was about spiritual development. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And that's out of the book of Samuel. Oh, make Samuel the kind of boy, the kind of man who will hear when he speaks, when God speaks to him. So 
These things happen all through the scripture. Places of spiritual understanding is a very important part of your training them mentally and physically and emotionally, spiritually. Remember that you are the first Father, Son, and Holy Spirit your children ever see. Remember that your home is the first church they ever attend. Do not think that taking them to church for the first time is taking them to church. If you are building a home of faith, if you and your husband are training up a child in the way he should go, then you are doing the work of the church in your home all the time. And they are watching as you do it. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does that word mean? You know, a long time ago, I stopped using the word Christian. Someone said to me, why do you call them followers of Christ? I said, well, to tell you the truth, I had some encounters with people who said they were Christians. Well, they didn't really act like they followed Christ. So I decided that if there were people who called themselves Christians and didn't act like Christ, I wanted to find another way to call people who were serious about Christ. And so I started calling them Christ followers or someone who follows Christ. People have many ideas about what Christianity is and what it means, but the scripture is full of places where you can read and understand what God is calling us to do. I think of all the parables that Jesus gave us to understand how to live our lives, how to spend our money, how to gain um, recognition, how to enjoy fellowship, how to be born again. It's right there in the Bible. Even was it Nicodemus? Even Nicodemus says, "What do you mean? Do I have to go back up into my mother's womb and be born again?" We don't use all these phrases anymore. They have built a negative impact. But the reality is, your children, as they are growing in your family, can learn to understand what these words and concepts mean. Be born again, John chapter three. What are disciples? He called disciples. He talks about discipleships. In the book of Luke, you can find discipleship used in so many places. He shows us what are the practice of Christian principles and what it looks like to fellowship with people. There is no better place to teach anyone about engaging in fellowship than there is in a young child. Because they're the very ones say, I don't want to go to Auntie Pat's house. I'd rather stay home and read my book or play on my computer or, or, or. And it takes a lot of work to say, no, no, honey, we're all going to die. But her house smells and I don't like it. when, And she never cooks anything I like. And well, you will not die if you don't have a meal. I mean, these are a part. You say to yourself, why is the Gen Y, Gen Z not going to church? Well, the parents didn't go to church. Where are they going to learn about going to church? Where are they going to learn about honoring one another, about caring for one another, about caring for the household of faith? The father and the mother, what are the roles of the father and the mother? The scripture very clearly calls the father a priest. Well, my husband doesn't act like a priest. That doesn't matter. That's his job. That's his title. Are you encouraging him to use his job and do his job even when he does it badly? And what does the scripture call you, the mother? For Second Timothy, when I call to remembrance 
the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelled first in thy grandmother, Lois, and thy mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded of these things now. His grandmother, that's Timothy, who lived with his grandmother, and his mother never talks about his father. He had two women to raise him. Now we say, oh, well, that, that could be dangerous for a kid or for a boy. But these two women loved Christ and loved God and raised him in a home that caused him to grow up and lead the church. Be honest when your kids ask you questions. There are some things you must say, not yet, but I will. But when they ask you a question, do not fur your eyebrows, furrow your eyebrows and say, not now, I don't have time. Pause. Listen to their questions. Be ready to answer them. Be ready. Peter tells us that we should be ready with an answer in everything we do. And you as a mom and you as a dad should be absolutely willing to answer your children's questions, not only about the world, but about your decisions. Why do we do this this way? You should encourage them by doing it yourself. Make their own decisions. Have you made a bad decision? I have. Have I suffered the consequences of it? I have. Don't keep your children from suffering from consequences. Help them to make decisions for themselves and be willing to stand by that decision. And if it goes bust, be willing to walk through it. Help them to participate with others by practical Christian service, going to places that they can serve, not only in your church, but in your neighborhood, and not only at Christmas or Thanksgiving, but all year long. I think the hardest thing that parents struggle with is worshiping at home because they have this concept. And today, in modern churches, it's not only a big band, it's a big band and there's smoke and flames and greens and colors and noises and a lot of things happen. But Psalm 100 tells us that we are to worship together. We're to encourage our children to enter into worship. What does worship look like? Well, you might just look at Taylor Swift to see what's going on in the world because there are millions, billions of people who are worshiping at the altar of Taylor Swift. Buying and going and seeing. Do I have any problem with Taylor Swift? I really don't. I've listened to a lot of her songs. Her lyrics are very earthy. Do I have trouble with some of the way she lives a lifestyle? Yes, I would probably still support her, listen to some of her music if I had small children, that they would love to have some of her music, but I would certainly qualify it. But worship at home is recognizing that God is to be worshipped and God alone is to be worshipped, not you, not your husband, not the TV, not the teacher, not the scholar, not the pastor, but God and God alone. And the last thing I want to say is I want you to teach them to know the book. The book. I recently read a very disheartening um, Barna study that talked about how many Bibles families who profess Christ own. The average is nine Bibles in a household, nine. Now, I could top that because I have a lot more than that. 
but they don't know what's inside the Bible. I commission you to practice the smallest increments of knowing the Word of God. If you teach your children in their entire lifetime 10 whole verses that they know, that they love, that they can find in the Bible, that they practice in their life, that they've failed at, God will protect them. God will watch over them. We see many places in the scripture where the youth were protected and watched over because they were found faithful. Andrew Murray, I don't like all of his stuff, but I love this. Teach me above all that as thou hast appointed this parental training for the fulfillment of thy purpose, I may be assured that thou hast made provision for the grace to enable me to perform let my faith see thee undertake for me and all I have to do in an ever-growing faith, so to be the root of ever-growing faithfulness. I ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Go out and practice the theology of God. Thank you, Donna. Staying. It's our subject and this has to do with staying as you teach and grow up your children. Remember, there are items available at the website. You might be interested in some. The big one that's up is uh, Advent candles. I'm ending. So. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of knowing his word.